my biggest lesson learned with innovation is that you have to learn how to take that innovation that's out there and work to apply it at a large scale so the the people that we work with every day at Barnes can learn how to actually use it and then additionally they understand how to use it it's time for a new era of communication in the swine industry one that you can get the latest updates while commuting or driving to farms here you will have the brightest minds of the global swine industry in your pocket swine it podcast is only possible with the support of forward-looking and innovative companies like nutriquest experts serving producers and delivering breakthrough solutions minitube the worldwide leading supplier of systems for the field of assisted animal reproduction. Genesis, the first power in genetics. Merck Animal Health, driven by prevention. Evonik, we are sciencing the global food challenge. AB Vista, new nutritional perspectives and novel enzyme applications to drive pig production. Zinpro, essential trace minerals, exceptional performance. Every Pig, a simple yet powerful pig health and production management tool. Just all. Always one step ahead in swine feeding. Adiseo provides programs and services to help producers achieve their targets in a high-quality, safe, and sustainable way. Welcome to the Swine It Podcast Show. My name is Marcia Gonçalves, your host for today's episode. This episode's sponsor highlight is about Minitube. Since 1970, Minitube has been at the forefront of assisted reproduction technologies setting worldwide standards in reproductive technology and giving peace of mind to producers. Offering a full range of products and services, Minitube can increase the efficiency and reproductive health of swine operations. From the boar stud to the sow farm, learn more at Minitube.com. Hello, everyone. Today we have Dr. Amy Mashoff with us and uh, I'm super excited to get her uh, brains here on a few different topics. So welcome to the show, Emmy. Well, thank you for uh, joining me. I wish I would have known we would have been in uh, Florida at the same time. We could have done this in person. I know we are, I think, one hour and a half away. So that's <laughs> close. I appreciate you taking the time there during our vacation. So, and I mean, you're just mentioning, right? That's what uh, work-life balance is about, right? It is. You got to take time for work and time for personal life. And sometimes those meld together. So I think I've learned that a little bit more as I've become a mom that you just, you just flex whatever you need to flex. Right. I love it. So for folks that don't know you, if you can share your journey so far and, and what are you up to? Yeah. So uh, I grew up in uh, Southern Illinois on what your typical like 4-H style farm um, would be. Add sheep, uh, goats, cows, and a few show pigs. And then uh, there was a point where um, one of the guys that I used to show pigs with, his dad actually worked at a 12,000 head pharaoh to finish operation. And he said, you should if you're really real about this whole being a pig vet thing, you should come work at uh, our barn for a summer. And so after my freshman year of undergrad, I went to uh, home, but worked at a 12,000 head uh, sow unit. And so he showed me where the heat lamps were, showed me where the sows were and said, hey, start assisting farrowing. So I spent a summer doing that and I have to give a lot of credit to Sarah Post Miller. Mm -hmm. um, she was their vet at the time and I met her uh, during that summer and thought, 
I can do this whole like career mom thing and put it all together and I'm going to be a swine vet. And so, uh, honestly, after that, it was, what do I have to do to be a swine vet? Um, what is the requirements? What are the things that you have to do to develop yourself? And so in undergrad and all the way through vet school, I did externships. I spent some time at Pipestone, um, spent some time with Carthage, just doing the SBIP program that a lot of students do today and thought, Mm, this is really cool. I really like this. And so every experience I feel like I had just reinforced that I want to go into swine medicine. And so after graduation, I uh, joined the mashoffs. And so uh, I was a herd veterinarian for them for a couple years uh, in what they called the Great South region at the time. So worked with some of our herds in Southern Illinois and Georgia and Missouri and then transition into role that's called uh, technical operations. And in that region um, is where our, the mashoff system does their internal research and development program. And so got a little bit of taste of doing the health for research herds. And then um, also where the mashoff did their genetic program. So got a chance to how we evaluated genetics out in the industry and looking at that. And then with a little bit of transition within our system today, um, I now serve as the associate director of health for the entire MASHOP system. So um, I work directly with Melissa Hinch and then all of the other herd vets within our system, just kind of what are the system needs, what are the system strategies? And then uniquely, because we had our internal genetics program, I also serve as the, um, the veterinarian for acuity genetics as we've launched that other program off. So I like to joke that 80% of my time I work for acuity and the other 80% of my time I work for the mash offs. Um, <laughs> so I get a little, I get a little bit, a little bit of both. The other 80%. I love it. <laughs> Super cool. And you have expertise on mycoplasma, how pneumonia, as I understand. So it'd be great to get your insights on that arena. Yeah, so Michael's been interesting for our system. I mean, I think a lot of times when you jump into a production system, they've always got some kind of thing that they're tackling, right? So um, whether we're tackling, we constantly are tackling PERS, constantly tackling PED. And one of the things that the mashoff system thought was, you know, as others are talking about eliminating mycoplasma, there is a, a big bang for your buck on finishing hogs. And so what's unique as you talk to people and you get into production systems, you learn how, like, what's the bottom line? Like, how does your production system make money? And the mash-offs sell live hogs to the packer, right? So when you talk about how we get um, value back on the products that we make, it's about making more live hogs to meet our customer commitments. And so the mash offs kind of heard what others had been doing relative to Micah and said, this is an investment um, that we probably want to make. So as a newer graduate, I got to be involved in the throes of how do we eliminate mycoplasma in a large system? Um, from your guilt flows down to your commercial flows and what's the impact going to be on that. And so I've been involved in tons of mycoplasma elimination programs, plenty of successes and plenty of failures. Um, and then also, as we thought about it, uh, how do you also protect yourself against new entries once you've eliminated it? And so as I was mentioning with my role, kind of working with more of the guilt flows and the genetics part of it is now I have to make sure that the guilt that I'm sending my customer, um, whether it's an internal customer or an external customer, 
how do we get more confidence in sending a micro negative guilt? Because if you're going to spend the 40 plus weeks and the X number of dollars and closure processes, how are you going to make sure that you keep Myco out and don't reintroduce it with the guilt. So have got the opportunity with our system to be involved in a lot of aspects of both controlling Myco, eliminating Myco, and then trying to prevent mycoplasma pneumonia into entering herds. Super cool. Do you have like a ballpark number for the success rate? I would say uh, ballpark, we've probably been successful and I would say at least 80% of our closures. It may be more, maybe less, but um, this year has probably been one of the most challenging years. Uh, we had mycoplasma re-enter a pot of herds in Oklahoma and we've had mycoplasma re-enter in a couple herds in Iowa that weren't necessarily, I think, something that we anticipated, but something that uh, as a vet, you always have to be a little humble and say, hey, I'm willing to learn more because mistakes will happen or these diseases and viruses will mutate and it will cause us to be humble and learn more. Right. That makes total sense. And 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 how about um, transport biosecurity that I know it's another area that, that you like a lot. Um, if you can share your insights there, I mean, the U.S. is, you know, way, uh, I just had this conversation this week uh, from... I believe what a production system in the US spends in a day in transport biosecurity. I think a production system in Brazil, for example, we spend in a year. So US <laughs> is, is light years ahead. So if you can share some of that. I would say one of the things that our system has been unique with is that when um, the mashups appreciate uh, innovation, um, and so one of the things with transport biosecurity is there's a lot of new innovations that have came out in the industry that we've learned about transport biosecurity. I wouldn't say that we've done all of the research associated with transport biosecurity, but we have taken what others have um, done via universities, via other research places and said, okay, how do you apply it? And how do you do what's best within your system to apply it? And so with transport biosecurity, we've said, hey, that's something that we're going to invest in. So we have our own internal transport operations. We also um, work with other, we have contracts with other um, live haul companies that will move animals for us. But we do have a set of expectations that we set when it comes to transport biosecurity because um, it's similar to guilt movements when they come into your sow herds, there's always a risk when the guilt comes in, right? When you go through your biosecurity risk grid, it always says something about live animals in and live animals themselves come in, but what about what they're coming in on? And so we've said, hey, we're gonna invest in making sure that what we move animals to and from sites in is gonna be something that we're gonna apply that innovation that's out in the industry and, and use it. And so our system has done a lot of changes relative to new truck washes, uh, relative to making sure that we 
all wash, disinfect, and bio-dry. We bake a ton of our trailers that go into our system, um, all the way from our genetic operations into our commercial herds. We wouldn't have a sow farm today that doesn't have a trailer baked that touches a sow farm. And in a lot of our transport biosecurity, we've tried to be as dedicated as we can as possible. So there are some sow farms, even in our commercial system, that uh, have a dedicated trailer and all that trailer does is haul that specific sow farms flow of pigs because we just don't want to take the risk relative to transport biosecurity. You mentioned innovation, right? And I always um, appreciated uh, how uh, science-based uh, mashups folks are and what has been something that you learned about innovation um, uh, in general? I think one of the biggest lessons I've learned is innovation is great, but you got to figure out how do you apply innovation on a larger scale. So I can kind of revert that back to the transport biosecurity is we know that trailers should be washed and baked and, and dry. It doesn't have to be bio-dried. The trailers have to be dried and you have to remove organic material. And so there's a lot of innovation out about how you use those or even with UV chambers, right? UV chambers are great for sow farms relative biosecurity, if people don't use it and apply it right, then what's the point of having the biosecurity process? So I think my biggest lesson learned with innovation is that you have to learn how to take that innovation that's out there and work to apply it at a large scale. So the, the people that we work with every day at Barnes can learn how to actually use it. And then additionally, they understand how to use it. And so we've taken, I think, strides in the last few years to get our SciTech team and our health team and nutrition team out there and say, hey, this is why we are doing things. Because we need the people that are in the barns every day applying those innovation principles. Because innovation is only so good as those who are actually using it and applying it. I love it. And and the other thing that I've been thinking recently is that also the speed of innovation, right? Because we can innovate, but if we're not innovating fast enough, then it's not good. Yeah. And if you and if you are innovating really fast, you just have to make sure you figure out how to apply really fast. And I get a little skeptical sometimes that we do innovate too fast. I would say because we are a company that likes to innovate, we've applied things within our system that haven't worked out. Um, we've had products where we've rolled out that said, Hey, this is a great new tool. Go use it tomorrow. And then six months later, the ops guys come back and say, Hey, you innovators that actually doesn't work at a large scale system. And so, uh, I think just with innovation, you have to similar to uh, comments on Mike by, you have to be a little humble about how you get it out there and how you apply it. Right. And, and I think that's a great point on the culture of innovation, which is, uh, really, if you want to be innovating, you need to be failing. If you're not failing, you are not going <laughs> to innovate, right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, there's a, I think there's a book out there that's called like Failing Forward. And I think we like to do that very well when it comes to innovation in our system, that it's okay to, it's okay to stub your toe a little bit every once in a while. Amazing. How about a psychovirus? What is the latest on that arena? Uh, our system relative to circovirus has just been challenging ourselves is, you know, circovirus has been out in the industry for how many years now? Wait, I'm one of the, I would say still a newer grad in the industry. And there's probably people who have many more gray hairs than me that have done a lot more with circovirus. However, I still think it's a disease that challenges our industry. 
And so our health team, um, uniquely enough, uh, gets together every quarter. I mean, we talk every week, but actually every quarter we get together and we say, hey, what are the big bugs that are bothering us that we want to do something about? And about two quarters ago, our team said circle virus. And at first, I think we all kind of looked at each other like, really, circle virus? We're going to talk about that again when there's vaccines out there. Uh, but how we think about circle virus stability at a cell farm level and how that impacts your downstream flow vaccines, your replacement guilt vaccines. We've been doing quite a bit of work. Um, and thanks, uh, thanks to, you know, the, the pharma companies that we work with on our system have been able to do some internal data collection on are we stable for circovirus or are we not? And then if we know we are or we aren't, how are we applying vaccines against the sow farm stability for circovirus? So um, we've been looking at that the past six months and been probably going to make some larger system changes and, and protocol adjustments based on the data that we've been collecting for that. Super cool. Super cool. Now, if you go back uh, when you came out of uh, vet school what do you think you know what were the biggest lessons learned after that but also any recommendations for the vet schools themselves things that they should be teaching maybe uh i think that for swine anybody who wants to be a swine vet we don't get nearly enough production um one of the biggest lessons learned that i had after vet school was actually doing production um i had the ability to um spend some time being kind of like a production manager uh for one of our uh sow farms and i got to look at what the impact of pers does to your wean pig volume for 20 weeks um, what it does to your parity structure for 20 weeks. And so I think that one of the things a lot of new grads are missing um, for those specifically that didn't grow up working with pigs in a large production scale is that production data. I have one of the, one of the operations guys I work with now that says that that year where you did production was the best thing that you could ever done because now when you come to me with a recommendation, I know you've thought through more than health you've thought through the production aspect of the of what you're recommending too. So I would tell new grads, go learn production too. And if you don't want to do production, find a production guy you want to work with that you're willing to be humble and say, hold on, time out, teach me so that I can bring you better solutions and better, uh, better cost uh, eccentric solutions for your system as well. I love, love it. So basically, when uh, when you you don't know something you know just be uh, direct about it and learn right yeah i think uh, i mean also it's okay to say i don't know um and i'll get back to you uh that's probably one of the other bigger lessons i've learned and and i think that vet schools can just teach students to it's okay to ask the experts too um i think we, the vet schools talk a lot about it in small animal when they talk about having general practitioners and it's okay um if you're a gp at a small animal clinic to refer to a client right and so i've learned in swine practice i work for a production system but i 
sometimes feel like a GP that I can turn to my ops guys and say, hold on, let me refer you to somebody else. Or I may not refer you, but I'm going to go ask the expert so that I can get you the right answer. And so I think that we just need to kind of have that mindset when it comes to uh, being able to say, I don't know all the answers right now, but I sure as heck will turn around and give you the answers whenever I can find them. Super cool. The ability of find, find the resources, right? Yep. Super, super cool. So then how do you know, you have family and it's busy and lots of work. How do you find time to stay updated and, and just be a resourceful when it comes to, to that? part of the oh, you led into what I wanted to say perfectly your drive time um I feel like I probably when I first was driving from farm to farm as a new grad just listening to the radio and taking time and now when I drive my mind is always turned on during work hours now it doesn't always have to be something that's swine related right um I listen to books and I listen to podcasts way more than I listen to music now when I'm driving. Um, just because I can get a little bit of news, a little bit of swine facts from podcasts and a little bit of fun uh, just to keep my mind rolling. Uh, I listen to uh, my rule is always for every two, you have one. So I read two fun books, uh, audio books while I'm driving for every one that's a self-development book. And nice. so I just kind of think that uh, that's how you can use your use your time as a as a young new grad. Don't waste that time in the vehicle to work on work on you and to work on uh, the skills that you can develop to help those around you. Super cool, and I mean, an audiobook, an average audiobook is what six hours, around eight maybe. Oh and yeah. So you in a few days, depending where you're going, you're done with that book, right? Yeah, you can get through a lot of books and a lot of podcasts in a really short amount of time, depending on how far you have to drive. Super cool. So let's, uh, anything else there, Amy, before we go into the three questions that I ask every guest? Uh, I don't think so. I mean, I, I, that's a short version of things that I've been working on in the last couple of years and just what I'm interested in. Um, I'm always... I'm always feel like I'm somebody who's really just willing to learn, uh, willing to say, I don't know. Um, so trick question away. It is time to our famous three. NutriQuest delivers targeted breakthrough solutions to animal producers via nutritional and non-nutritional products, services, and technologies. At NutriQuest, we believe in ingenuity inspired by service, and that our success comes from helping producers realize improved profitability through optimized technologies and efficient operations. Since 1971, Zinpro Corporation has focused on one thing, trace mineral nutrition. As the most research-proven organic feed trace mineral products in the industry, Zinpro Performance Minerals deliver performance and profitability to swine operations around the globe, to know more, go to zinpro.com. For knowledge and news from the global swine industry, access our partner, thepigsite.com. So the first one is, uh, what's your favorite uh, pig-related book? 
Um, so my favorite pigmented book, uh, still after graduation, is Diseases of Swine. There is more than enough times that I pick up that book and say, okay, I need to remember something that I learned in vet school that I haven't saved brain space for now. And it's time to pull out that book and get some facts again and just on what's out there. Um, that's probably still my favorite. I mean, it still sits at my desk at the office. So I use it quite often. Nice. Uh, I'm glad they didn't come out with the audiobook version of that one. <laughs> it would be a long, it would be like 20 hours, maybe, probably 20 hours. Yeah. That'd be, be a little though. probably too much, but it'd be fun just for short amounts of time. Yeah, for, for uh, cliff notes. Yep. Um, how about a book uh, outside of, of livestock, really? Um, outside of live, livestock, um, so this is funny that you're asking about kind of like what I listen to as I'm driving. So I've really been uh, into listening to books on Reese Witherspoon's book, like book club. So if you follow her on Instagram, she gives a book of the month. Okay. And one of the most fun ones I've read in the last year was called The Last Mish Parish. I don't get surprised by twists in books very often. And that one, I just completely missed. So in the last year, that's probably my favorite like book for fun that I've read. Cool. Yeah, I was not aware of her, but that's, that's good to know. Yeah, if you follow her on Instagram, she'll give you a book of the month. And so I just kind of read it. It's been interesting. They've made some movies or TV shows out of the books that they recommend. So it's kind of one of those. If you're one of those people that like to read the book before the movie or the show comes out, you can follow her. And she's made some very uh, women-centric uh, choices on books. And so it's about kind of women developing themselves or, you know, challenging their, their the expectations that are around them. So... Super cool, super cool. Um, you mentioned Instagram. In our industry, how much of uh, our folks, uh, you know, uh, being our generation or are there? I'm there. I know, I know you're there. Uh, what, but what do you think? Many people are there. I think some people are there, but I would say... <laughs> I don't know. I have mixed feelings because I think there are quite a few of us that are out there on social media that are telling our story and talking to others. Um, but I do think that there are, are quite a few that are more quiet um, uh, across the swine industry. I think that there are some older generations that aren't as active. And then I, I think, though, that as we get further and further down to industry, um, I'm sure that by the time that my kids are grown adults, we are going to be using social media for a lot of things that we didn't anticipate. And honestly, with COVID, it's taught us that, you know, technology works for connecting with people. And so I think we have to continue to be creative to how we use those technologies to connect with um, at the end of the day, the customers who are consuming the product that we make. And I think we'll, we'll get more and more creative with how we do that. I'm a big fan of technology. Yes. Did you hear about this new one that's called Clubhouse? No, I'm going to have to try uh, it. Check it out because it's <laughs> seriously, it's going to take uh, social media is already taking to a completely different. It's a different ballgame. It's audio only. No video, no text, zero text. There's no direct messages and it's a, a live. So there's no recordings and um, it's just a room. You know, you're popping. Let's say if you and I jump in right now and we create a room about pay production, whatever. People that are in our network, they can jump in and chat, ask questions. So it's kind of crazy. It's it's super cool. Like a little addictive. Yeah. 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 
So that can be very addictive, right? Get in and then uh, two hours later, you're still talking about pig production. <laughs> yes, exactly. So then the last one is, uh, what do you think set, sets apart successful swine professionals from those that are not? I, I think the successful ones out there are willing to listen to what, whether you're a consultant vet or you're working for a production system, I think the successful ones listen to what their customer wants. Um, and and also take into account the bottom line of their customer. Um, I've got to make recommendations at the end of the day that are going to make my customer or my production system successful. At the end of the day, if they don't make money and they're not successful, then they don't need to come to me to ask questions. So you've got to take into account what they need before you make recommendations. I love it. Amy, thanks so much. It's been a joy talking to you. I appreciate you t having the flexibility there to talk. I know you're in vacation with family, so thank you so much. All right, thank you. It was good to meet with you. My pleasure. Imagine if with a few key concepts, you could have the potential to create a massive positive impact by bringing from hundreds of thousands to millions of dollars for swine producers. Join this small group and go to the next level of swine nutrition on this seven-week-long elite online training in applied swine nutrition and feeding. It's conducted by myself, Dr. Marcio Gonçalves, and my world-class invited speakers. Additionally, you enjoy an exclusive community to exchange ideas. Go now to www.eliteswinenutritionist.com.